You know, we have several people we're going to hear from this morning, and to know uh, if we're on time or not, guys, I really need the clock again going. Thank you. Um, so if we could do that. Also, you know, it's been great to be part of this missions experience. Uh, we're really excited about what God is doing. And as I thought about how, how God is, is taking his message, not just here, but around the world, uh, I was reflecting back to, you know, somewhat of the beginning of the church and of that message that's going out. And I was thinking and looking back at Acts chapter 12. And if you have your Bibles, maybe you want to take a look at that. And we'll have some of that on the scriptures, or up on the screens. Some of it we'll just be talking through. But Acts chapter 12 is a story that I think is a, a fascinating uh, look at the church, especially in the formative years of the gospel message going out, not just in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but into the uttermost parts of the earth. Things have been going not that badly for the church. In fact, if you read the, ch the chapters before that, uh, people were being saved. They had been added to. The message has gone out even into the um, Gentile community. And so things had been, you know, relatively speaking, anyhow, uh, not that bad for the church. But it, as we look at chapter 12, verse 1, we see that things are about to change. In fact, it says King Herod began arresting the Christians with the intention of persecuting them. I don't know why. Was that just fun? Uh, but he, he decided he was going to do it. And then it, it also goes on to say, not only was he starting to do that, but he had arrested James, James, the apostle, and he'd had him executed, murdered. And it pleased the people. It said he saw it pleased the people. This represents a crisis point in the early church. James, beloved disciple, brother of John, fishing buddy of Peter and Andrew, gone. Up to that point, as far as we know, no apostles. None of the original 12, other than, of course, Judas, none of them had been martyred. Now James is gone. If there was any aura of invincibility about the apostles, it was gone. If there was any expectation that they would not suffer and be persecuted because of who they were, that was gone. If there was any indication that God was going to somehow protect them, it was gone. And in fact, to prove it a little more, and because he saw that it uh, really made and pleased the Jews, the Bible says that Herod went out and he arrested Peter, beloved Peter, and had the same intentions. In fact, he probably would have carried that execution, that death penalty out right then, had it not been that this was during the time of the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread. And so you would not... Uh, have an have execution during that time, you'd have to wait to the end. And so Herod went and he took Peter and he, he put him in prison with the intention of bringing him up in a trial, what would be a mockery of a trial, and then he would kill him and it would make people happy and he would be more popular. And to make sure that Peter didn't pull one of those Houdini acts of getting out of prison and disappearing or anything like that, he said he put four, four, four groups of four soldiers together. And he says, you watch them. And he probably would have been chained to the, he was chained to the wall and he would have probably had one uh, soldier on one side, one soldier on the other side. And then at the door, there would have been two more and they would have rotated every three hours throughout the night. There was no way that 
Peter was going to get out of this situation. He had been sentenced to death, and he was going to die, and Herod was going to make sure of it. And that is all in those first four verses of chapter 12. And here then, right in the middle of the story, right in the middle of this drama, Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, puts this little parenthetical sentence or statement for us. He interrupts his telling of this story. And he says this in chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Luke thought it was important that we know that while this was going on, that there was the church, and they were praying, and they were praying for Peter. He thought it was important enough to interrupt the story and put it right there in the middle. Peter was in prison. Ah, but the church... They were praying. They were praying. And that earnestly isn't a, uh, you know, sometimes how we pray, uh, oh, yeah, God, uh, Pete's in prison, take care of him, uh, now let's turn the football game back on. It's not that type of praying. This is earnest praying. This is a stretching prayer. This is a prayer of crying out on your face, moaning before God. It's the same type of prayer that Jesus had in the garden the night before he was arrested, the night of his arrest. You know, it's, it's that earnest, deep down prayer that just stays with you. It's in your gut all the time. Lord, Peter needs your help. Lord, Peter needs your help. Rescue him. Give him a supply. And so he goes on, and, and, it's not, and then the, he picks up the story. He picks up the story. He says, okay, Peter's in jail. By the way, it's the end of the Passover celebration. And it says the next day, Peter's going to be brought out, and he's going to be tried He's going to be executed and will be down one more apostle. What do you think Peter was doing that night? If you read the scripture, Peter was chained, probably in a cold dungeon with two guards on either side. It says Peter was sleeping. How about that? Peter with not, no pillow, no pillow, with two guys on his side and, and chained up. It said he was sleeping. In fact, the Bible tells us he was sleeping so soundly that when the angel of God showed up and the light shined in the room, he still slept. <laughs> he was still sleeping. The angel had to come over and poke him. Hey, Pete, get up, get up. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. Peter gets up and he looks around and the chains fall off. The chains fall off. He gets up and the angel says, okay, get your clothes on. Let's get out of here. See, he puts on his cloak and his sandals and they, they start heading out. And he said, we walked by the first set of guards. And it says they walked by the second set of guards and they walked right out the door. It says they started walking down the city street. They got to the gate, the iron gate of the city. And the gate opened for them. How cool is that? <laughs> the gate just opened. And he says, we walked out, got a party about a block away, and the angel disappeared. The angel disappeared. And he said, I, I, I kind of came to my senses, or I kind of got my wits about me. You know how it is sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're not really sure if something's real, or did you dream it? Most of the case, if you're like me, you're hoping it was a dream. <laughs> well, Peter was hoping this was real. And he looks around, and he says, 
hey, yeah, this is real. He said, it came to my senses, and I realized, I finally realized, in fact, I was sure that it was God and his angels who delivered me from prison. That's where we pick up the story again in chapter 12, verse 12. Listen to this. When this had dawned on him, all of this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. <laughs> you gotta love it. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! Can you imagine? Yeah, woohoo! Peter's at the door. And, and I can imagine the party that broke out in that room. Woo! High fives! Peter's at the door. Peter's free. All this. Yeah, wow! Big time party. But that's not what happened. The next verse says this 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. When he kept insisting, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. The very thing that they had been praying for, earnestly, when God did it, it was like, no, can't be God, can't be, can't be Peter, it's got to be a ghost, it's got to be something else. We, I know, yeah, I know we've been praying, I know we've been praying about it, but, but you know, it's, it's a little too quick for God to answer. You know, we were, we were hoping, you know, you know, someday down the road, but not today. So my question is, what do you do when God answers your prayer? What do you do when God answers your prayer? Do you give him the glory and honor and, and reflect back and say, wow, that was a God moment? Or do we say, ah, coincidence? Lucky, lucky chance there. Do we? I've invited a very good friend of mine to join us for a few minutes this morning. Uh, during our missions experience, we're uh, reflecting on some of the missionaries that we support month after month after month after month. For 25 years, Willoughby Hills French Church has supported Gary Wright and World Renewal, which is just about as long as Gary Wright and I have worked together. When, when we were... In the early stages of world renewal, it was Gary, and he would travel around the country uh, preaching and teaching. And now today, 30-plus countries, staff in 30-plus countries, and we just finished up with two couple days of board meetings, and, and it's just fantastic to sit back and reflect at what God has done. But I'd never known anybody or any organization that reflected this, but the church prayed any more than this ministry. In fact, when we go into countries, uh, the first thing is to sit around and don't do anything until we pray and God sends the person. If God doesn't send the person, then we weren't to be here. And so I asked Gary if he would just share a little bit about this 12, verse 12, 5, when the church prayed. Um, is in, can I do a Gary Wright impression? Yeah. Okay. God showed up. Yes. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> that's, pretty, that's, that's what happened. Hey, but I, t I wanted to tell you, boy, yeah. you told that get out of jail story pretty good. <laughs> I'm thrilled. <laughs> we started out as prayer partners once upon a time long ago. And, and what a joy to uh, come here 
and hear Pastor Steve share. And I don't know how long you've been going to uh, Willoughby Hills. I've been coming here for 27 years. And uh, first time I came here, somebody, you guys sent somebody to the airport to pick me up. He stood there in a gangster hat, you know, kind of goofy grin on his face. And I thought, youth pastor. <laughs> yeah, it was Jim, Na Jim Davis. And uh, what a blessing uh, Jim has been. And, uh, and Willoughby Hills, thank you for supporting me all these years. I want to tell you a story, you know, you sometimes think people like me, you know, missionary, evangelist, whatever, uh, that we always know what God's doing. We do pray. Prayer is the engine that drives the church, that's for sure. But sometimes you don't feel like your prayer is getting anywhere. Peter was in jail. You and I have some people who are in jail. Some of them may actually be behind steel bars and, and concrete blocks, but we probably have more who are in a prison that's even far worse and often self-made. I have a, a friend named Kara. Kara's mom came to work for me at World Renewal Offices. When Kara was 10 years old, Unknowing to her family, she overnighted at her aunt's house and her aunt's boyfriend sexually abused her. Changed Kara's life forever. When she was in high school, she took her first drink and that brought something she felt like she really wanted and needed. She became a binge drinker became an alcoholic. The rest of her teenage years into her 20s, she, would, she wrecked every car she ever owned and finally ended up in jail and prison, and, uh, not prison, but jail. And, and uh, her mom, powerful woman of God, and as the scripture said, an earnest prayer, awesome prayer. When, when her mama prays, you're like, wow. But her mama prayed and she didn't see any results other than standing beside a bed in a hospital after one of those binges because Kara was allergic to alcohol. So time and time again, they stood by her bed not knowing if she was gonna wake up. She came to work, her mom came to work for us and one day they introduced me to Kara. She was a musician. I liked her. She was a good musician. You know, I paid her to mow my yard. She'd go out there and sit on the mower and sing, top of her lungs as she went up and down the yard. Uh, what I didn't like was days I just felt like I was paying her to stand around and talk on her cell phone and smoke cigarettes. And sometimes we had to try to find something for her to do. Willoughby Hills dollars at work. Um, somebody decided she ought to paint my office. I didn't decide that, somebody else decided that. One thing Kara couldn't do, she couldn't paint. <laughs> you know, and as I sit at my desk, I look over here to the left and there's an electrical outlet. 
she didn't even come that close, you know, and it wasn't straight or anything. It's just some, you know, and every time I'd look at that, Steve, I get, what am I doing? Paying this girl to, well, I knew what I was paying her for. I wanted to hang around Jesus people. I wanted to hang around people who had Jesus inside of them because you hang around Jesus people. You get a little Jesus on you, you know? <laughs> and so I said, but it didn't seem like it was working. And, but she'd come in and talk to me about music and we, we, had, we, we just sat and listened to music together sometimes. And then it got worse and I didn't see Kara for a while. And then one morning she got really, really, really drunk. I was gonna take her life. But she ran into a friend and somehow they ended up at my house and Kara didn't knock on the door. She just walked in, drunk, super drunk. And she sat there with my wife and I and her friend and held my hand saying how much she loved me and my wife and would you pray for me, Pastor Gary? You know, and I had to be honest. I believe in prayer. But my thought was, get this girl home safely. So I had somebody call her mama. Come get her. She's a mess. Let's get her home. We'd had many of those occasions. I wasn't thinking that her life would be changed that day. I believe in prayer, earnest prayer. But that day didn't seem like the day. She kept saying, I want you to pray for me. It's okay, we'll pray for you. So her mama comes, we get in a circle. Her mom, my wife, myself, and her friend, and Kara. We're standing there in my family room holding hands, praying. And I have to tell you, Pastor Kevin, you know, sometimes we pastors do things because of God's word says it but we may not feel it inside. I didn't really feel the prayer that day. I didn't feel, but I felt obligated, put my hand up, lay hands. I didn't feel like I had a holy hand that day. I just put my hand on top of her head and her drunken body there. And I began to pray. As I prayed, Jesus showed up. I gotta admit, I was a little surprised. And as he showed up, I felt courage myself, so I began to pray and rebuke the powers of darkness that had a hold on Kara's life. And Kara's hands went from this to, and then I felt her starting to fall, and I reached over and grabbed her arm, and her mom grabbed her arm. Later that day, she texted me, my faith still wasn't strong, I'm confessing to you. We'd earnestly prayed, but we hadn't seen the results, see? She texts me and says, God heal me today. Steve, I honestly thought, I hope so, honey. I hope so, honey. October 3rd, 20th, last month, Kara's been sober three years. Amen? Three years. 
I don't see it happen very often, but I mean instantly God healed Kara. I don't see that happen. I'm an I'm a avid 12-stepper. I, I really am. Believe in it. But God healed her, and she has no desire to drink. I mean, none. Gone. But there was another issue in her life. You see, she was sexually abused by a man at 10. She didn't trust men. She thought she could trust women and had many same-sex relationships. And that's how she expressed herself. A year later, I, I didn't say anything to her about that. You know, you could tell the way she was presenting herself. But I didn't say anything. Her church had a day of, a week of prayer and fasting. And Kara participated. And I'm just going to tell you what she told me. Okay? She said at the end of that seven days of praying, she says, God spoke to me. And, he, and, he, and she says, he called me his daughter. He, he said, daughter, I created you a woman. I want you to live like a woman. And that's not what she'd been living like. I'm glad to say that Kara Cole is a world renewal, homeland missionary, Christian artist. She's all tattooed up, you know. Got scripture all over her arms. She goes places I can't go. I'm glad she goes into the taverns, nightclubs, and sings songs that describe how Jesus changed her life. We, the church, were earnestly praying. We didn't see the results. I didn't see the results, even when as I prayed for her, but it was just like Peter, he knocked, Kara knocked at our door, we opened the door, shut the door, what's that? It's a human being that's been changed by the presence of Jesus. Uh, thank you for 25 years of giving me liberty to do the ministry and to reach up in faith, sometimes an obligation, and put my hand on somebody's head. And while that hand doesn't feel holy, it still has fire of Jesus in it. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Why, why are we sharing that with you? And why are we talking about, in a missions conference, this passage? I want to tell you another story. It's a story of leadership and elders and even church body here at Friends Church. It was about a year ago, and we had a challenge of 10% of, of our income, increasing our giving to, for 10% of our income to go to missions. But the question is, well, where's it going to go? What are we going to do with it? And we had a call to Jamaica, and we were praying, and I believe earnestly praying. And it seemed like every time we earnestly prayed, there was another frustration in our lives. There was another roadblock. There was another no door shut. And we're thinking, God, what's, what's going on here? And, and we want to do other things, and we want to be 10%, but we, we, we're, we're, we're asking you for direction. 
Lord, speak to us, show us. And, and it was, no, no. And, and, you know, I could describe to you, it, it, we have uh, at our denominational headquarters, you know, we have some changes and new people coming in and going out. And, and our goal, our thought was, let's get a missionary couple in there and let's work with them and let's let them be our liaison. And we want to have a permanent relationship there and someone we can go and, and visit and, and they can put us to work and, and valuable projects. And that wasn't the goal of the denomination. And, and it was like, okay, Lord, uh, what are we going to tell the people? Jamaica, you called us to, but there's not a path. There's other things that were coming up and it's like, okay, what, what else are we going to do? And, and all of a sudden, uh, oh, what are we going to do? So we decided in early May, well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to schedule a missions experience. We were calling it back then a missions conference. And it was like, okay, what are you going to do with your money? I don't know. How much money do you need? I don't know. You know, and all this kind of stuff. But it was, it was God, we're just going to keep praying, praying earnestly. And as, all of a sudden, as we started praying earnestly, people started showing up. People started coming to us with, with their dreams and their visions, knocking on the doors. And I will never forget the elders meeting when, when our elder elder Clyde Thompson looks up and he says, do you ever think God is dropping things in our lap? It's like we've been praying and it's like, okay, God, give us an answer to this prayer. And we start looking around and all these people are knocking on our doors. It's like, it's like, hello, knock, open up the door, let us in, let us in, let us in. And we're saying, yeah, God is working. We started planning this in, in, in May, and it's about August, when a visitor shows up at our door, and we're talking with him, and he says, hey, have you heard that Dave and Shauna Good are going back to Jamaica? We have a picture of them here. They are going back to Jamaica and they are being called to be the pastors at Worthington Friends Church in Kingston, Jamaica. We've known Dave and Shauna for years. They've attended Youth Explosion. They've pastored at Trinity Friends Church in Lisbon. They've pastored Deerfield Friends Church and Behelia Friends Church. They served as missionaries in, in, in uh, Jamaica for about seven, eight years. They come home, but they hadn't lost that desire to go to Jamaica and God was calling them back. And he said, they're going down there, they're pastoring the pastor of Friends Church. We said, hey, give us their phone number. We called them up and they came and met with our pastors. I spent another two hours down at their location down at Akron. And then we brought them up and met with our elders and our outreach commission and, and, and then had them give a testimony before our whole administrative council. And all while saying, wow, God, this, this is exactly what we've been praying for. Are we like... The folks are saying, oh, okay, let's keep looking for somebody. Or God is, are you providing something for us? You've heard the story. In fact, you remember Labor Day weekend when we had the Bhutanese Nepalese people here. What a, what a wonderful time that was. And they just showed up. They showed up about June and said, hey, we want to have a conference. And we want a youth conference. We said, Lord, that's wonderful. Come on and we'll work this out. We worked it out with them. And, and just before the conference started, we said, who is your, who is your main speaker? And they said, well, our main speaker is Norbu Tamang. He spoke here, the second service, Labor Day weekend. Norbu Tamang had been out of Nepal for less than a month. He was another refugee. But while he was in Nepal, they said, oh, by the way, he was the pastor of the French church in Kathmandu, Nepal. Really? What a coincidence. What a coincidence. So we got, on the, we got on the email and started emailing our headquarters and our mission headquarters and said, hey, do you know Narbu Tarmong? And they wrote back and said, you know what? He is the finest pastor that we have in Nepal. 
He has been working there almost the whole 20 years that we have been active in Nepal. And we have been praying, and this is in Denver, Colorado, our headquarters for missions, and, and Narbu had moved to Columbus. He said, we have been praying that he would get connected with evangelical friends, Eastern region. He just happened to be the speaker at the conference that happened to ask if they could use our facility after getting rejected everywhere else. Is that God working or is that not? A few weeks ago, a month or two ago, uh, Wayne Phelps and myself, our elder of outreach, went down and visited Narbu at his home with his wife and, and daughter and had a lovely time together and just talking about what God was going to do. And so we started working with our yearly meeting, our headquarters office. And, and you know, things never move quickly in, in, in organizations. But they have moved lightning fast here. On October 11th, October 11th, uh, Wayne and I went down to meet with, uh, with them at their church. In fact, we have a picture. The next picture is, is uh, their church meeting together. They have, they have two hours they're allowed to meet in the Lutheran church a week. They have from two to four on Sunday. That's it. So, but they're here, and we are there worshiping with their church. What a great time together. But it wasn't just for that. The next picture uh, shows me giving a few words of greeting from Willoughby Hills French Church, and you can see I have the scarf wearing that that they gave us. These are scarves of honor that they would give to guests. And uh, the other uh, American there is Wayne Evans. He is the uh, general superintendent of Evangelical French Church Eastern Region. He has one. We're praying with them, and, and we're just excited to be there. The next picture shows Wayne giving to Norbu and his assistant, uh, Bakta, a great guy, wonderful wife and child. Um, they, they are there, and they are, they are receiving from us, uh, letting them know that we care for them, telling them that they are a extension church recognized by Evangelical Friends Eastern Region and that they receive, both of them, their license. So they are formal uh, licensed pastors now in Ohio with Evangelical Friends Church Eastern Region. The next slide is the letter that, uh, that Wayne Evans shared with them that says a lot of that. I just want to read just the very end. He says, with the recognition, all this uh, comes some benefits, licensing, uh, funding, and a task force that includes the leaders of Willoughby Hills French Church that will encourage and guide you where it'd be helpful in the love and prayers of the churches of Eastern Region. So our mission board, our church planning board, and our church formed a task force, task force to start this church not only in Columbus, but it helped Norbu there and, and his ministry not just to that church, but to the Bhutanese Nepalese people across the country. There is so much I could tell you. We don't have the time. One more picture of the dignitaries who were there. Well, I don't know if you call us dignitaries, but uh, there's uh, Bakta and uh, Norbu along with others. And then finally, you know, uh, Sheila being a typical woman, she took 100 pictures of all the people. I'm a typical man. I took six pictures, and two of them were the car. Uh, <laughs> We were able to take a car down and a 2004 Honda Accord and deliver that to them uh, because they had no vehicle. And it was donated and they were just, it, just, it was just wonderful in that service to stand up there and uh, for Dr. Wayne to hand those keys over to Norbu. And so there's, there's just so much. You know, what's, 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 what's hindering us right now? Well, Dave and Shauna Good, it'll cost $3,500 a month to go back on the mission field. That sounds like a lot. 
Well, you know, a thousand a month just for international health insurance costs. You know, it's a thousand a month for health insurance if you're living in another country. That means only 2,500 a month for food and the shelter that they need. They do have a home that, they can, that the church has it to be able to live in. But all the needs for ministry. They need 23,000 just to get there and to buy a car, a good car. That's, that's holding them back. Oh, what's holding back the, the Bhutanese Nepalese? Well, they need a facility that they can be in more than two hours if they want to do ministry. They need a vehicle because most of their people don't have cars. They need a van that can go around and pick them up. They need to be able to pay Norbu for his work and help him to get out of the warehouse that he's in and be a full-time minister. Eastern region, the headquarters is going to help some, but they're looking to us. They're looking to us. What more can we do? We've already helped this past few months with the roof on the church at Community Friends Church in Garfield Heights area. So much more like that we want to do, but we can only do that as this conference is successful, as this conference uh, is, is able to raise our money to do what we need to do, that extra work. We want to, we want to be there for, for, for Norbu. We want to be there for Bakta. We want to be there for Dave and Shauna. We want to be there for the other churches around us. We want to be there for the organizations that you see around gathered here today that have come with their displays. That's our dream. That's our dream. It does cost money to do it. We're going to invite Pastor Kevin to come up at this time. And usually the executive pastor talks about the money part. We're going to let Pastor Kevin do that today. Good morning. How many elementary school kids do we have here? Yeah, I see you back there. Saw some here in the front. What up? I just waved to you. How many elementary school parents do we have? Everyone's so quiet. Has the sugar buzz worn off? now from last night. You know, growing up, uh, I think my kids would say that their favorite time of year was Halloween. You know, going and getting candy and all these people giving handouts of candy. The first time that my middle kid, Lucy, realized that she could go up, knock on a door and say those magic words and people would give you candy was like, you could see the light bulb go off. You know, how have you been hiding this from me, mom and dad? But then when she learned you can only do it once a year, wasn't quite as big of a fan of that. My favorite time of year growing up as a kid wasn't so much Halloween, honestly. It was the book fair at school, which may say more about me than anything else. The book fair was my favorite time of year, and so I make sure that whenever the book fair comes to our school, and it did last week for our kids, that they have money to go and participate in the book fair. Well, a year ago, my oldest, uh, who was in second grade at that time, went to the book fair, and she had enough money, she realized, to get two books that she really wanted and was really excited about. I spent lots of time preparing, making sure, counting the money that she had enough for two books. She checked out, got her books, and then was waiting for the rest of the class to finish. And she found out that one of her classmates didn't have enough money to get the book that that classmate wanted. So Libby went and returned one of her books that she really wanted and gave the money to her friend so that she could get a book that she wanted. My little girl never told us that story. We didn't find out about it until her teacher, who as far as I know isn't a follower of Jesus, her teacher told us what our daughter had done and the generosity that she had shown and the self-sacrifice. And then the teacher told us that she was so amazed by that display of generosity that she went and bought my daughter the book that she had wanted back and gave it to her 
for treating others in that way. I, I, I cry just thinking about that. For me, whenever Jesus Christ is present in our finances, which for most of us is the most difficult area of life to make Jesus present and to be generous and to follow the teachings because we have responsibilities and we have needs and we have desires and hopes. And, and to use our money to give to other people is many times the last and the most difficult step. But for kids, oftentimes they're the ones who are showing us the way to do that. You know, as a church, as Pastor Steve said, we committed a year ago to striving to give away 10% of everything that comes in every weekend back out the door to other needs, to other works internationally, to Jamaica and other places, regionally, to our other uh, local missions, and even, uh, as Pastor Steve also clued you, into other churches, not just fringe churches necessarily, but to other churches that perhaps are in need. Well, to do that requires a large portion of our resources that are dedicated to other things. And so what we are asking you to do is to pray. And to ask God whether or not he would have you to increase your giving next year on faith that God will provide those resources. If he indicates to you an inclination to give more, then on faith we will commit to following God through with that promise. And so perhaps in 2016, God may be leading you in prayer this week before we come back together next weekend to give, say, $1,200 next year. In addition, first service I said that and a lady went, <laughs> like the defibrillator's at the back, we know where it is, $1,200. But perhaps, let's say that that's where God leads you. And then in January, you receive a promotion that leads to a $100 increase in your bottom line a month. I want to tell you that that's God following through. Don't go spending that money on up in your cable package, increasing your internet speed. That's God. Or perhaps God leads you to do that, and next year, your expenses are reduced at home. Again, that's God enabling you to follow through on the commitment that you made to each other. Or maybe for some of us, God leads us to increase our giving and to be more generous, and it's going to require a bit of sacrifice. Maybe giving up that $5 cup of coffee every day on the way to work that comes out to somewhere around $1,200 a year. But it's between you and God. Even though next weekend we're going to come together and make a commitment if you don't sign your name, that's okay with us. If you don't follow through next year, we're not tracking you. It really truly is between you and God when it comes to the increase. But we want to encourage you to trust and to pray and to listen for God's voice as to what he may have you do. And then next weekend we'll come together. In fact, for those of you who are in the worship center, you're going to have to squeeze in next weekend because we are all coming to you. We're going to be in one place next weekend for commitment and for celebration. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for us. And so I want to encourage you one last time to take that card home, to pray, and to ask God about how he may be encouraging you to be generous over and above your tithes and offerings next year. And so as we invite the ushers to come forward here in the activity in the worship center to receive our tithes and offerings for this week, would you watch this video? 
My mom, I think she's smart. Now you think your mom is smart or is she smart? She is, she's smart. My dad is a very good speaker. And so I think those are good qualities for missionaries. It's important and everybody needs to know about what Jesus did for us when he died. I'm a medical doctor from India. And I'm a psychiatric nurse. And I work with my husband in Nepal. People in Nepal are from different ethnic groups. And uh, the religion that most people follow is Hindu and uh, followed by Buddhism. And then very few uh, percentage of Christians and other groups. We are involved in something which is called as community health evangelism, CHE in short. And uh, through this ministry, we've been able to reach out to the poorest of the poor and in the last uh, six years, we have seen tremendous growth occurring in, in the church for the level of blessing that uh, has come to people's lives. Um, now that Christ is in their midst through our ministry, um, has never stopped amazing me. We have many programs in uh, Che, but the one which has really touched me personally is adult uh, education program. And especially women who come to, st who have never gone to formal school in their lives. And now when they're in their middle ages, they want to read it, learn to how to read and write. And when they do that, it gives them so much happiness. That has also helped them to come to know Christ. For the women to know how to read and write, that God goes a long way. And that really helps them to have some kind of self-esteem. We've been blessed that uh, EFM understands our ministry, which is in a way different from direct church planting and direct evangelism, because we're working in the holistic way. And all the prayer partners and financial givers have really understood what we uh, are trying to do in Nepal and they have uh, given generously, they have prayed for us and uh, that's the secret behind uh, our success. We've been encouraged so much by this and so we want to reach out to those areas which is not accessible by roads. We need to walk for three days or four days. As age catches up with you, um, I think I need a lot of prayers in that area that God gives me the strength to do this work. The greatest need that I felt was that I am growing old and I've, God makes me younger to perform this ministry. In the years to come, we want to see our ministry to be self-supported, people that are working now and also do the ministry at the same time. Not always be dependent on others to give, but our people will learn to take on you know, this responsibility on their own.